This is the Best Song Podcast, an oral history of the first 90 years of the Academy Award for Best Original Song. The Best Song Podcast was made possible by the generous support of the following. Paulus Edukas, Terry Freerks, Tina Fry, Jeff Glazer, Mark Hollingsworth, Douglas Meacham, Mark Smith, The Sokolov Family, Colin Stokes, Adrian Quinn Washington, and Ben Watson. Follow the show on Twitter at Best Song Podcast, where you can participate in polls, talk about your favorite movie songs, and dive deeper into the rich history of movie music. Let's settle in now for another year in movie music with host Jeff Cummings. I told you in the first episode of the Best Song Podcast that the rules for Best Original Song changed more often than arguably any other category in the first 90 years of the movie awards. After making a few major changes and clarifications to the rules for songs released in 1950, the Academy seemed compelled to make another revision regarding the presentation of the song in its corresponding movie. Quote, To be eligible for the Best Song Award, a complete continuous refrain or a complete continuous rendition of a non-verse and chorus song must be used in a picture except where completion of the song is interrupted by dramatic action, end quote. That means the Academy wanted the full song to be performed in the film instead of just eight bars as specified in the 1950 rules. None of the songs nominated in 1950 had that problem, and even Mona Lisa was being performed in the film before being interrupted by dramatic action. Going back to the songs nominated from 1946 onward, Every one of them was performed from start to finish, except Mona Lisa. So perhaps the Academy wanted to give studios a reason to put a song in a film and not just cut and paste one in to barely satisfy the rules. This also meant the song had to have a reason for its inclusion, whether as part of a stage performance in the film or as a plot-advancing device. All five nominated songs for 1951 qualified for the award, though one of them skirted the limits of eligibility. The rule change that was instituted in 1946 to essentially allow studios to have more than one song nominated each year has been benefiting MGM, the studio that originally showed how songs could work in a movie. As I mentioned at the end of the previous episode, one of the big hits of 1951 was An American in Paris, which took previously written songs by the Gershwin brothers and shaped a plot around them. Gene Kelly continued to revolutionize the way song and dance was presented on film, including that remarkable 17-minute ballet dream sequence in the finale. It was the eighth-highest-grossing film of 1951 for MGM, but would become one of those remembered films from the year, along with A Streetcar Named Desire and A Place in the Sun. Alan J. Lerner wrote the screenplay for An American in Paris, just one of many projects that used the famous lyricist's work in 1951. On the Broadway stage, the musical Paint Your Wagon made its debut with music by his longtime collaborator, Frederick Lowe. And on screen, Lerner teamed up with Burden Lane to write eight songs for Fred Astaire's latest MGM musical, Royal Wedding, because Lowe at the time wanted to stay in New York to supervise the production of Paint Your Wagon. In addition to writing the songs, Lerner came up with the story for Royal Wedding and wrote the screenplay, set at the time of Elizabeth and Philip's wedding in 1947. Lerner got his first Oscar nomination for original song for the love ballad, Too Late Now, performed by Jane Powell. Though Fred Astaire had been introducing many Oscar-nominated songs in the early years of the award, 
It's the songs his co-stars sing now that are getting the nomination lately. Jane Powell performs Too Late Now to her love interest, an English lord named John. It's not that Fred had a great song that deserved a nomination. One of his iconic dance performances comes after he sings the song You're All the World to Me about the girl he's fallen in love with, then dances on the walls and the ceiling of his hotel room. Surely those in the music branch responsible for picking the nominations remembered the song and dance performance, but since it was about 98% music and 2% lyrics, I guess many thought it was not really much of a song. Judy Garland was set to play opposite Fred Astaire in Royal Wedding, but her many troubles with alcohol and drug addiction was causing her to lose film roles, just as she lost the film role for the Barclays of Broadway with Fred Astaire the previous year. Garland didn't often show up for rehearsals on time and would call in sick during the early days of filming. It had to be a hard decision to make, but Louis B. Mayer canceled Judy Garland's contract over her inability to do her job, ending a relationship that went back to the 1930s. Jane Powell does well in Royal Wedding, and as I said, she sings Too Late Now as she's walking with Lord John. John figures their new romance might not last because Ellen might fall in love with someone new. It's too late for that, she says. Too late now to forget your smile The way we cling when we've danced a while wenn er es hier rausbekommt, ein Engagement in Südafrika besorgt, um mich von dir wegzukriegen. Würdest du mich in Südafrika vergessen? Wie könnte ich das denn? Oh, 
Now is the only song not done as a stage performance in Royal Wedding, or in the case of that Dancing on the Walls number, a showcase for Fred's hoofing abilities. Having Alan J. Lerner as lyricist and screenwriter helps this song flow seamlessly from the dialogue. It is unusual for a song lyricist to be the screenwriter, but Irving Berlin did a somewhat similar thing for many of his early movies, though he came up only with the story. Lerner had been writing the book for many of the stage musicals he had helped put on, so it was only natural that Hollywood would welcome his screenwriting abilities with An American in Paris and Royal Wedding to mark his movie debuts. He was well rewarded for it, getting an Oscar nomination for writing the screenplay for An American in Paris, joining Irving Berlin as the only songwriters to earn nominations in both categories in the same year. Too Late Now wasn't widely requested by some of the popular singers of the time, and as such, Jane Powell's performance in the film was the only place to hear it, until Judy Garland sang it on her TV show in 1963. Remember that Judy Garland was fired from Royal Wedding, so singing this song 12 years later might have been her way of showing how she would have interpreted it. It seems like she's not singing it from the same viewpoint as Jane Powell. Listen to her singing as if she's looking back on a lost love she's been trying to forget, but it's too late for that. Forget your smile The way we'd cling When we danced a while Too late now To forget and go on With someone new
will be the same as I was before. Darling, no, no, I can't anymore. It's too And after a nearly a decade with MGM, Burden Lane was earning his second Oscar nomination, nine years after writing How About You for Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. In the book They're Playing Our Song, Lane talks about his drought of music writing, saying his lack of a regular musical partner affected his motivation to write regularly. When you're a team, he said, you somehow get to think together and develop a judgment about songs. So I wouldn't have had to rely so much on my own judgment, which is often faulty. Lane also admitted that he didn't very much appreciate his own musical talent, saying, quote, most of my own work I just didn't like. How I used to admire guys like Harry Warren. No matter what piece of junk he was working on, Harry would always come up with some wonderful tunes. MGM was doing quite well at the box office in 1951. Royal Wedding made nearly $4 million at the box office, and it had two films as the top grocers of the year. The epic Quo Vadis and the film adaptation of the Broadway musical Showboat with songs by Oscar Hammerstein II and the late Jerome Kern. The second original song nomination for MGM in 1951 came from a movie called The Strip. It stars Mickey Rooney as a drummer in love with a dancer at the nightclub where he performs. The nominated song from this movie is A Kiss to Build a Dream On. And you probably know this song well, but probably didn't know it made its debut in a motion picture. Bert Kalmar and Harry Ruby, who began their songwriting partnership in 1918, originally wrote the song for the Marx Brothers film A Night at the Opera with the title Moonlight on the Meadow and a slightly different melody. The song was never used in the film version, and since A Night at the Opera was an MGM film, Moonlight on the Meadow was owned by the studio to use whenever it wanted. That opportunity came when MGM asked Hammerstein to revise some of the lyrics while keeping the structure of Moonlight on the Meadow, and it became a kiss to build a dream on. Kalmar had died in 1947, so he wasn't able to see the success of his revised song or celebrate his only Oscar nomination as the original melody writer. He also never got to see the movie Three Little Words, which told the story of his songwriting partnership with Harry Ruby. And he might have been excited to know that Fred Astaire was the one playing Burt Kalmar in Three Little Words. For his efforts, Astaire won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical for Three Little Words, the first time that the Golden Globes had separated the acting categories. A Kiss to Build a Dream On is performed three times in the movie The Strip. We're introduced to it when Rooney's character, Stan, talks with his boss about being in love. The boss, named Fluff, talks about a woman he loved who wanted him to give up the nightclub business. He refused, and she married Mr. America 1922 instead. He created a song that helped remind him of her, and he plays it for Stan, who joins in halfway through. A kiss to build a dream on. 
Give me a kiss to build a dream on Then my imagination will thrive upon the kiss Sweetheart, I ask no more than this A kiss to build a dream on Give me a kiss before you leave me And my imagination will feed my hungry heart Leave me one thing before we part a kiss to build a dream on When I'm alone with my fancies I'll be with you Weaving romances Making believe they're true your lips for just a moment and my imagination will make that moment live give me what you alone can give a kiss to build a dream on the second performance of the song comes from edna the club's cat check girl who is in love with stan even though he's not returning her affections Stan walks into the club one afternoon while she is singing the song as an audition to get promoted to singer, and the song changes its meaning as Edna is now singing about a kiss she has never had, but now wants from Stan. That kiss would be enough for her to dream about the life they could have together. Give me a kiss to build a dream on, and my imagination will thrive upon that kiss. Sweetheart, I ask no more than this A kiss to build a dream on Give me a kiss before you leave me And my imagination will feed my hungry heart Give me one thing before we part A kiss to build a dream on Just a moment, and my imagination will make that moment live. Give me what you alone can give, a kiss to build a dream on. A kiss to build a If you have heard A Kiss to Build a Dream on before, you probably heard trumpet player Louis Armstrong's version. Armstrong has a role in the film as himself, performing in the club's jazz band with other great musicians such as Jack Teagarden and Barney Bygard. And Satchmo himself gets to sing the third version of the song performed when the lieutenant investigating Stan's role in a murder comes to the club. It's a travesty that we only hear the final 30 seconds of Armstrong's performance in the film. I'll be with you. Good evening, Lieutenant. Good evening. Thank you, sir. I hope you have a pleasant evening. Oh, thanks. Making believe they're true. 
give me your lips for just a moment And my imagination will make that moment live mm, Give me what you alone can give I'll kiss the villa dream on Let's make up for that with the full commercial recording Armstrong made in 1951 and took to number one on the Billboard charts. Give me a kiss to build a dream on And my imagination will thrive upon that kiss Mm, Sweetheart, I ask no more than this a kiss the bell a dream on Give me a kiss before you leave me And my imagination will feed my hungry heart mm, Leave me one thing before we part A kiss the bell a dream on When I'm alone with my fancies I'll be with you Weaving romances Making believe they're true Oh, give me your lips for just a moment And my imagination will make that moment live Mm, give me what you alone can give A kiss to build a dream on There's an on-screen instrumental performance of A Kiss to Build a Dream On in the final scene. The band is playing the song as Stan is asked to accompany them on the drums. Perhaps the fact that the girl he loves has died is what makes Stan realizes that he will never have that kiss to build a dream on, and he isn't able to play. So the band stops and plays something more a beat, which gets Stan to join in. 
I was very impressed with Mickey Rooney's drumming in Strike Up the Band way back in 1940, and to see him perform a few drum solos in the strip is remarkable. He's definitely one of the few top actors who didn't have to pretend to play a musical instrument. It's best to hardly mention the cover versions of A Kiss to Build a Dream On by the likes of Bing Crosby and Ginny Sims, because they are far inferior to Armstrong's version. Some music critics at the time wondered why one of the guest performers in the strip, Vic Damone, didn't sing A Kiss to Build a Dream On, but perhaps it's because it was long planned as a hit for Armstrong, and having Vic Damone sing it in the film would have likely drowned out Armstrong's performance. Not to worry, though. Vic Damone did get to sing an Oscar-nominated song in 1951. It's called Wonder Why, from the movie Rich, Young, and Pretty the third MGM movie to earn a Best Song nomination this year. Jane Powell joins Damone in the song performance in the movie, giving her two Oscar-nominated songs in one year. Rich, Young, and Pretty was Vic Damone's film debut after making a name for himself as a performer on practically every variety show on television. His personality caught the eye of MGM, and his debut has him play Andre, a French government clerk who doesn't really explain why he has an American accent. He meets Jane Powell's Elizabeth while she is visiting France with her father and immediately falls for her. While she is getting ready for their afternoon tour of Paris, Andre goes to the piano to sing about his feelings for Elizabeth. Through the song, he tries to understand why he's doing strange things like walking in the rain. As is the case with many of these songs, we hear violins and other instruments play even though there is no one else in the scene. Wonder why I am not myself of late. I'm feeling strangely great. I wonder why. I suppose some genius could explain why I walk in the rain. Just let him try. I guess there is a Unless I've come up with a new sensation It could be that she's caught up with me And all the mystery I'm speaking of is simply that I went and
The two of them visit several nightclubs in their first day together, and they sing Wonder Why while they dance. Shall we dance? Myself of late, I'm feeling strangely great. I wonder why. I suppose some genius could explain why I walk in the rain. Just let him try. Thank you. For what? Singing the way you sing, dancing the way you dance, and looking the way you look. The boys in Texas don't talk like that. I've come up with a new sensation. It could be The song brought a second consecutive Oscar nomination to Nicholas Brodsky and Sammy Kahn, and the seven songs they wrote for the movie were a major departure from the quasi-arias they had to write the year before for Mario Lanza and Catherine Grayson. Brodsky needed to compose music with a French flair in many of the songs, though Wonder Why was your classic love ballad, with Kahn able to use the title phrase in many ways. Brodsky and Khan composed a torch song for the secondary plot, featuring Elizabeth's mother and father, who separated when Elizabeth was very young, which means Elizabeth doesn't know that she's been spending so much time with her mother in Paris. The mother is a famous singer, and she walks onto the stage to perform Dark is the Night, while Elizabeth's father watches from the audience. It's the classic torch song, as we hear about how things are dull and gray now that she is not with her man. Dream, dream of 
Vic Damone didn't get a big hit out of his recording of Wonder Why, getting only as high as number 20 on the Billboard charts. The Oscar nomination wasn't going to give a boost to Damone's career, but he continues to have a moderately strong career on film. Bing Crosby also continued to have a strong life on film, even though he hadn't performed an Oscar-nominated song for five years. He's remained in the top three of America's favorite movie stars, and in 1951, he held on to that with the musical Here Comes the Groom and the nominated song In the Cool, Cool, Cool of the Evening. Ray Evans and Jay Livingston, last year's winner of the Best Song Oscar, were the main songwriters for the film, writing three songs. Neither of them were In the Cool, Cool, Cool of the Evening, which was written by Hoagy Carmichael and Johnny Mercer, an unexpected pairing if there ever was one. Carmichael had lost his first chance at an Oscar to Mercer's on the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe, and apparently there were no hard feelings about it. Carmichael and Mercer had gotten together to write In the Cool, Cool, Cool of the Evening for another film, but it was not used. That film was The Keystone Girl, which was to feature other songs by Carmichael and Mercer. Production on The Keystone Girl was planned for summer 1950, but it kept getting pushed back. Betty Hutton was set to star in it, but she had also signed to be in Cecil B. DeMille's The Greatest Show on Earth, and she had to report for filming on that project near the end of 1950. So with Hutton out of the picture, apparently no other actress would do. So the Keystone Girl never got made. But Paramount retained the rights to the songs, ready to use them in any future films. And that film would be Here Comes the Groom for In the Cool, Cool, Cool of the Evening. Bing stars Here Comes the Groom as Pete, a newspaper man looking to marry his longtime sweetheart in five days in order to keep the French children he's adopted. The start of the movie feels much like Paramount mirroring part of An American in Paris with Gene Kelly and his French kids. But Bing has long had Gene Kelly beat in that department, singing some hit songs with kids for more than a decade. And Here Comes the Groom, he has two great songs with kids, including Your Own Little House, written by Evans and Livingston. It feels very much like the nominated song Aren't You Glad You're You, using the children's bodies to highlight the great things about them. In your heart, you have a playroom to enjoy every toy, every game. Sonny, you've got a house, your own little house, and it's registered in your name. Now take your eyes, why they're the windows, showing you every view in the sun. Honey, you've got a house with your own little house. And it's better than anyone. So just keep the outside shined up. And the inside free from gloom. Take care of your house and you'll wind up. This is a duplex having fun in every room. And your head. Now that's the attic. Full of memories and keepsakes to choose. Got a house, man, that's a pre-war house. And it costs just a smile to you. And as long as you can meet that payment, why you can't lose. Frank Capra, the director of Here Comes the Groom, 
heard Mercer sing in the cool, cool, cool of the evening at a Hollywood party one night and begged for it to be used in his new film. Despite what you might think about in the cool, cool, cool of the evening based on the title alone, the song is not a gentle love ballad about two people falling in love on a cool summer night. It almost defies description. A nonsensical song, if you will, about things that could happen when people get together at a party on a cool evening. Someone might sing like opera singer Pagliacci, while others want interesting foods at the barbecue. Our introduction to the song comes when Pete is about to leave Paris for an assignment in Asia. He and his favorite orphan have a tradition of singing in the cool, cool, cool of the evening when they have a long goodbye. This goodbye is too hard for the little French boy, and he runs off before they can get more than 30 seconds into the song. Hey. Don't we always leave them singing? Sure, Pete, sure. We always leave them singing. In the cool, cool, cool of the evening, tell them I'll be there. In the cool, cool, cool of the evening, better save a chair. When the party's getting a glow on, and singing fills the air. In the shank of the night. The full version of the song features Bing dancing with love interest Jane Wyman as they also prepare to say goodbye. She's about to marry a rich real estate man, even though Pete still thinks she'll marry him before time runs out for him to keep the French orphans. As they shake hands, the two former lovers prepare to launch into one of Bing Crosby's rare, lengthy song and dance numbers, featuring extended lyrics that feature bumblebees, hens, dinosaurs, and bears, at what sounds like a really fun party. Be sure to listen to Jane Wyman's comment about the song at the end for some idea of what the folks at Paramount might have said when they first heard the song. Say, uh, don't we always leave them singing? Yeah. We always leave them singing. Yeah. You want to play? Sure. Can you give me a little pickup there on your typewriter? Pretty, but a uh, little high for me. You know my limited range. You kill at 50 inches. <laughs> Just hang on around the curves now. Don't get lost. Well, you I ready? brought my scooter. In the cool, cool, cool of the evening, tell them we'll be there. In the cool, cool, cool of the evening, better save a chair. When the party's getting a glow on, singing fills the air. In the shank of the night when the doings are right, well, you can tell them we'll be there. Oh, you remember. <laughs> you know any more games? Ah, <laughs> uh, she still loves me. Gentlemen, this little meat will come to order. Take a letter, Miss Jones. Sue wants a barbecue. Sam wants to boil a ham. Grace wants a boule base stew. Play in the kitchen. Jake wants a weenie bake steak or a layer cake. He'll get a tummy ache too. What's yours? Ulcer. We'll build a tent or a teepee. I'll let the town crier cry. And if it's our RSVP, this'll be our reply. In the cool, cool, cool of the evening, tell them we'll be there. If you want a couple of deadheads to fracture your affair, I may even sing Pagliacci. 
Everyone will relax and, and we'll have a few yaks and you can tell them we'll be there. Gentlemen, be seated. A Z went the bumblebee, let's have a jubilee. A when said the prairie hen soon. Quack, quack. Shaw said the dinosaur. Where said the grizzly bear? Under the light of the moon. Yes, how about your brother Jackass? <laughs> Everyone gaily cried. Say, are you coming to the fracas? And over his back, he sighed. Oh, carry on. In, In the cool, cool, cool of the evening. I tell the hump, we'll be there. Slickum on my hair. Now perhaps I may seem unconscious, but remember, Selah. Like, ah! If we're still on our feet and there's something to eat, well, you can tell him we'll be there. He'll be there too. Better be. In Boston? And no down in the Caribbees. Some Aborigines rode out to pay me a call. Eh, 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 eh. Uh -uh. You lucky single jingle. <laughs> me lucky too, they cried. Ooh, I didn't get their lingo. Bebop. So this is what I replied. In the cool Remember when we won the cup of Gloucester? And you lost it in a crap game? Well, they switched dice on me. Boogity, 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 boog, boog. Which means we lock them rare. When the tribe is getting a glow up. Tom-toms fill the air. Boop-de-boop. If the dinner is free and the dinner ain't me, well, you can tell them we'll be there. Be sure and tell them we'll be there. Tell them we'll be there If I can get out of bed and put a head on my head Well, you can tell them we'll be there If you need a new face or a broken dime base Well, tell them we'll be there Well, we had such a ball, thanks for the use of the hall And, and you can tell them we'll be there That's the silliest song anybody ever did sing. Oh, but the dance was lovely, wasn't it? So smooth, elegant, well-contrived. I'm surprised the censors let the word jackass stay in the movie, but I guess it was let go because it's talking about the animal and not describing a person. It's definitely not the typical Bing Crosby song we're used to. It's more suited to Fred Astaire or even Gene Kelly. But the movie as a whole is a departure of sorts for Bing Crosby, doing much more physical comedy and less singing. It paid off with a Golden Globe nomination for Bing, the only time he was nominated by that group. Yeah, he wasn't even nominated for Going My Way. And it's a departure for Wyman after her Oscar-winning role in 1948's Johnny Belinda, in which she never spoke a word of dialogue as a deaf mute in a small Canadian town. As we already know, a studio wasn't limited to one song nomination per year now, and there was no rule that a film couldn't have more than one song nominee. I wonder if the list of eligible songs from Here Comes the Groom listed the three by Evans and Livingston, as well as In the Cool, Cool, Cool of the Evening. Even if all four songs were in the running, Bing's recording of Cool, Cool with Jane Wyman, backed by the four hits and a miss, was a decent hit going to number 11 on the Billboard charts and spending many weeks on the hit parade. 
That assured it was going to get the most exposure and ride the wave all the way to a 10th nomination for Mercer and Carmichael's second. In the cool, cool, cool of the evening, tell them I'll be there. In the cool, cool, cool of the evening, save your pappy your chair. When the party's getting a glow on And singing fills the air In the shank of the night When the dudes are right Well, you can tell them I'll be there I like a barbecue I like to boil a ham And I vote for boule bay stew What's that? I'd like a weenie baked steak And a layer cake And you'll get a tummy ache too We'll rent a tent or a teepee Let the town crier cry All's well And if it's our SVP This is what I'll reply In the cool, cool, cool of the evening Tell them we'll be there If you need a pair of freeloaders To fracture your affair I may even give them payachi Now stand back and Everyone can relax and we'll have a few yaks And you can tell them we'll be there The fifth nomination for original song isn't as authentic or quirky as in the cool, cool, cool of the evening. It's about as basic a love song as you could possibly get called Never from the 20th Century Fox film Golden Girl. The movie is a very fictional biography of the real-life Lotta Crabtree, who was the toast of California during the American Civil War. Many of the things in the movie were patently untrue, including Crabtree falling in love with a Confederate soldier and getting into show business at 16 years old when she was in fact six years old. The movie was the film debut of Mitzi Gaynor, who would go on to be one of the best actresses of the 1950s. She doesn't sing the Oscar-nominated song of the film, that responsibility going instead to singer and actor Dennis Day who was a very famous star on radio with his own comedy show that would move to television in 1950. Day has the voice to sell what is, as I said, a basic love song that details when the singer's love will end. Yep, you guessed it, never. Day's character is in love with Gaynor's Lada, and as you hear in the performance, Lada is the only person who doesn't know he's in love with her. to you, Lotta. 
you don't hear him. With my heart in my Never was one of three original tunes written for the film, all by three different songwriters. Our nominated song has music by Lionel Newman, who served as the musical director on Golden Girl. The lyricist was Elliot Daniel, who was the vocal director on the film. Lionel Newman you might remember from his first Oscar nomination for the barely noticeable The Cowboy and the Lady 13 years earlier. Like Golden Girl, Newman was musical director on The Cowboy and the Lady, which meant he found the need for a song where it was replaced and decided to recruit the man working on the other songs to help him write this one. Dennis Day's performance of Never was released as a commercial single as Golden Girl was being released in theaters and spent a few weeks on the Billboard sales charts, barely getting into the top 20. It was likely that the radio play, where Day was already a known quantity, that Music Branch voters fell in love with the song and marked it as one of the five best of the year. There are a couple of songs I want to highlight from other 1951 films that, in hindsight, are surprising snubs. I'm quite certain you know all or some parts of these two songs because they have become such a major part of the American songbook for generations. The first is probably the most obvious oversight in terms of claiming a nomination that year, and it's the song Silver Bells. Yes, it originated in a movie called The Lemon Drop Kid, starring Bob Hope as a con man who needs to raise $10,000 after losing a big bet on a horse race. He goes to New York City to enlist the help of his former girlfriend, played by Marilyn Maxwell. Hope dresses up as a sidewalk Santa Claus, hoping to fleece people into giving him money on the street. He encounters a colleague singing a depressing song, and Hope suggests that the song be more uplifting to get more money. With Maxwell, the two show him how it's done. Let's put some dough in the kitty. Chunk it in, chunk it in. Or Sandy will give you a Mickey. Silver bells, silver bells. Oh, hi, kid. Hello, Brandy. Hello, Gloomy. Work. Wait a minute, you don't have to frisk me. I ain't holding out on you. Them shoppers just ain't breaking loose with the Gitas, that's all. Well, no wonder they ain't chunking it in the way you're growling at them. Well, what's the matter? You told us to sing, didn't you? Sing, yeah, but to mention money at Christmas time is vulgar. You gotta work on our sentiments. Be subtle, delicate. Silver bell, 
silver bells It's Christmas time in the city Ring a Sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. In the air, there's a feeling of Christmas. Children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile. And on every street corner, you hear. Silver bell Just fill it up with loot It's Christmas time in the city Silver Bells was a major hit after it premiered in the movie, fighting with White Christmas as the world's biggest secular Christmas song. Where White Christmas played on people's past memories, Silver Bells celebrates the present and future. It was written by Jay Livingston and Ray Evans, who were very hesitant to write a Christmas song, knowing it couldn't come close to White Christmas. But an assignment is an assignment, and Jay and Ray set out to write something. The first version was called Tinkle Bells, and thank God Livingston's wife reminded him that the word tinkle is a euphemism for urinating. Ray and Jay quickly changed the title to Silver Bells, and though Ray and Jay couldn't back up their Oscar win from the previous year, with a nomination in 1951, Silver Bells would become their biggest hit of the time. It hasn't come close to outselling White Christmas, but you'll hear some version around Christmas time every year, whether it be Frank Sinatra or Bob Hope or Kate Smith or Michael Bublé. And then there's the song that became the signature song for singing cowboy Dale Evans, Happy Trails. Dale sang it in the movie Spoilers of the Trails, which made it very little money and didn't make much of a splash as a commercial record, at least the version that we hear in the movie. The movie is about as far from a typical Roy Rogers western as you can get, while still allowing Roy to wear a cowboy hat and boots out on the prairie. There's a plot involving rocket launches, outer space satellites, and foreign intrigue. The scene that contains the song Happy Trails features Roy Rogers and his crew dismantling one of the rockets and taking it out of the town called Sunshine Valley, and they sing as they ride. Happy trails in Sunshine Valley. Happy trails in Sunshine Valley. Happy trails in Sunshine Valley. Where a smile. Foy Willing, who co-starred in Spoilers of the Plains, wrote this version of Happy Trails for the movie, 
and it was eligible for an Academy Award. Roy Rogers sang The Haunting Dust from Under Western Stars back in 1938, and Happy Trails was one of those songs that, if it had better exposure, might have convinced music branch voters to vote for it. So the version of Happy Trails that you might know was adapted from Foy Willings' version by Roy Rogers' wife, Dale Evans. It used Willings' title phrase throughout the song, but changed the lyrics and some of the melody to use in the Roy Rogers show on TV as a closing performance each week. But even though part of Willings' work was used, he never got co-writing credit with Evans. So we have four love songs and a tune about a fantastical evening party on the docket for this year's Academy Award for Best Original Song. Of the 10 nominated songwriters who were living at the time of the 24th Academy Awards on March 20, 1952, only Johnny Mercer and Oscar Hammerstein II have previously won an Oscar. So the chances of hearing new names read aloud as Oscar-winning songwriters was quite high. Danny Kaye was on hand as Master of Ceremonies, and reviews for his comedy gave him high praise, which might have irked Bob Hope just a bit. The program for the 1952 ceremony was the same as the previous year, especially in the way the nominated songs were performed. Instead of being sung in one bunch, they were spread out through the first half of the show. Once again, Bing Crosby used stage fright as an excuse to not sing his nominated song. So Jane Wyman, who sang In the Cool, Cool, Cool of the Evening with Bing on the film, was on stage at the Academy Awards singing it with Danny Kaye. Another original performer of a nominated song, Jane Powell, took care of Too Late Now, and Dick Hames had to deal with making Never a better song than it was. Donald O'Connor, who had been in more than 30 movies in 15 years as just another actor, was on the cusp of stardom with the world premiere of Singing in the Rain just one week away, starring alongside Gene Kelly and Debbie Reynolds as the comedic sidekick. In the meantime, he presented all three music awards, including original song. He was quite happy to announce that Hoagie Carmichael and Johnny Mercer were the winners for In the Cool, Cool, Cool of the Evening. And as the songwriters made their way to the stage, O'Connor thought the man coming out from stage right was one of the winners and shook his hand. That man was going to help O'Connor give the Oscars to the winning men who finally made their way to the stage and were ready to make a speech. Carmichael spoke first. Uh, on behalf of uh, Johnny, this wonderful collaborator, I want to thank uh, Bing and Janie and all the people in the music department of Paramount for the wonderful way that the song was presented. That includes the producer, too, I know. And it was a thrill to see it performed in the picture. It's things like that that make 
songs, and I know we're both very ha uh, thankful, and uh, I'm very proud to be holding this, believe me, because I was runner-up to this fellow once before. He's a great writer. Say a word, say. Same, uh, the same goes for Little Sir Echo. Paramount just kept cleaning up in their original song category, now with eight wins, including the last four in a row. And Bing Crosby definitely should have gotten something more than a thank you from Hoagy Carmichael. That was Bing's fourth Oscar-winning song that he originated on film, a record that will be hard to match in the years to come. It's not the last nominated song that Bing will sing, so perhaps he can increase this record to an unreachable number. Elliot Daniel didn't become an Oscar winner, but he had another composition released in 1951 that would become much more popular than the song Never. Daniel wrote the music for the new TV show I Love Lucy, which made its debut on October 15, 1951. Though he took the assignment to write the opening theme when producer Jess Oppenheimer asked him, Daniel felt, like many composers did at the time, that television was inferior to motion pictures, and refused to have his name listed in the credits as the theme writer. Plus, he was under contract at 20th Century Fox, and he was afraid his contract would be canceled if it was discovered that he worked for a non-studio project. But many years later, after I Love Lucy had ended its six-season run, Daniel asked to have his name listed in the credits and reruns, and made a mint off the royalties. Alan J. Lerner wasn't in the audience to hear that he lost the Oscar for original song, nor was he there to accept the Oscar that he won for writing the screenplay for An American in Paris. His wife was there, though, to accept the Oscar. At age 33, Lerner became the first songwriter to win the Oscar for screenwriting. Eat your heart out, Irving Berlin. This nomination for Too Late Now was Burden Lane's final Oscar nomination, but not the last song he wrote for MGM. He wrote songs for two more MGM musicals, Give a Girl a Break, and Jupiter's Darling. Both were financial failures, and Lane had a dry spell of almost a decade before he went back to Broadway to find some success with the musical On a Clear Day You Can See Forever in 1965. And that was the exciting list of songs nominated for the Academy Award in 1951. Sometimes just looking at the list of nominated songs just scratches the surface of the stories they have to tell about their creation. And I'm glad I was able to share those stories with you today, and I hope you enjoyed listening to them. The nominees for Best Original Song in 1952 feature the first song to be nominated from a sequel, and Bing Crosby has a chance to increase his record of introducing Oscar-winning songs to five. It's going to be a fun episode, and I hope you'll join me for it. Thanks for singing along with me on this episode, and I look forward to doing it again next time. The Best Song Podcast is not authorized or endorsed by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The show's creator, writer, producer, and editor is Jeff Cummings. All music clips are permitted for use under the Education Clause of the Fair Use Doctrine in United States law.